You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. You are great. I am great. Alan Seiler. I feel as if my brain is being squeezed through my nose. <laughs> and Veronica Dashel. What's up? <laughs> I Was that in the episode? <laughs> What's <Right>. up? <laughs> no. I, I don't remember anything in the episode, but I changed it yeah. up. That's good for yeah. talking about podcasts about it. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> I love it. All right. We have some This Week in Trek this week, Keith. Yes, just a couple. Because one, we want to do this. We do so much other stuff to talk about. But there was a couple I thought were kind of important. On um, 19th of June, which though a lot of people may now know as Juneteenth, for those of us from Texas and Louisiana, it's been Juneteenth for decades. But 1978, um, birthday of one Zoe Zaldana. Oh, wow. Now, I'm correct, right? Only the second person to play Uhura. I'm always thinking, am I missing something anywhere else? Was it just Nichelle Nichols and Zoe Zaldana? And that's it? No, like, yeah. animation game or anything like that? I don't think so. Yeah, I, yeah. There's no oh. other ones that I know of. Wow. Un- until now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually. Uh, quick question. Um, what do y'all think about, and I don't want to do a comparison as in who's better or not. What do y'all think about Zoe Daldana's Uhura um, and the new Uhura and Strange New Worlds in terms of the characters or what they got in the do? What I'm saying is I like the new Uhura better, and it's not the actress. I think it's the character, how it's written. Uh, yeah, I think I like the new one the best. I mean, of, of those two. Um, I like Zoe Saldana's performance a lot. I don't like that they saddled her with being the girlfriend a lot. Yeah, I think there are ways to get Uhura more involved in the story without her um, and Spock fussing at each other during missions and things like that. (laughs) But it makes for great puppet bits. (laughs) (laughs) They did it just for you. Yep. I love it. Um, uh, Two more. Uh, 21st of June, 1940. And I am just blanking on quotes, so I'm just going to go ahead. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Um, there was a person adjacent to this person who said, I don't like that. I don't think I, I never thought I did before. And now I really don't. Uh, Little Nimoy said that. Ooh, good one. <laughs> yes. In. Oh, geez. Um, that was uh, This Out of Paradise. No. Uh, ah, Bread and Circus. No, I'll do another one. <laughs> Okay, uh, then the response to this was, you're responding to the instincts of your ancestors 5,000 years before you were born. Yeah, okay, that's um, all our yesterdays. Yeah, boy, I'm going around the rosemary bush for this. And the lady there that was the cause of all this. <laughs> Zara Beth. Yeah. Uh, Meredith Hurley. Hartley. Hartley, God. Yeah, close. Meredith Hartley. Yeah, she was born on the 21st of June, 1940, playing Zarabeth in the episode All Our Yesterdays, the one mm-hmm. that Spock fell in love with. Um, a lot of deep sci-fi fans may also know that she starred in a, a, a would-be pilot called Earth 2. Yep. With Gary Lockwood. Yep. And Genesis 2. Mm. Another pilot that came from Gene Roddenberry that had everybody in it, like Mabel Roddenberry, the, the, the Earth 2, Genesis 2, post-apocalyptic 
A uh, guy comes and spin an animation thing was uh, really cool. And Genesis 2, which is a, a movie I like, she played Lyra Ah. And a little known fact, well, a lot of fans may know, is there the humans were mutated in this post-nuclear future. And Z- Lyra Ah had two navels. Mm. And the reason she had two navels is because Marriott Hartley and All Our Yesterdays, the censors back then wouldn't let women's navels be shown, like right. Jeannie and I Dream of Jeannie. So Gene Roddenberry, Gene being Gene Roddenberry, said, okay, I got something for you. So when Genesis 2 came out, not only did he show one navel, he showed two navels. <laughs> that racy character. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and the what last a scamp one, he is. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one, the 22nd of June, 1958, this was the guy who was almost Geordie LaForge, but ended up becoming a Vulcan on Voyager. But did have a lot of Star Trek um, appearances. Yep. And that was run Tim Russ. Yep. I love Tim Russ. I think he's great. I do too. I do too. Yeah, he's, he's a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's really interesting. You, you always look at these castings. You know, I always say, oh, well, this person almost got it and this almost got it. And I think one time on the show, we pointed out that when you say this person was up for a role, they could have been a person like 35 up for the role. But Tim Russ was really right there. He was like top two or three to be Jordy LaForge. And of course, he had other episodes. He had, I remember him in, um, I think it's Starship Mines, the one mm-hmm. where the, the terrorists are trying to pull the, the material out of the warp core and Picard yep. fights him off like a uh, diehard. Tim Russ was one of the guys that Picard took out. Yeah. So, yeah. And then he went on to Voyager, which is kind of cool. I think that worked out. I think getting LeVar Burton, oh, Jordy, yeah. and Tim Russ's Tuvok worked out great. Yeah. I agree. I agree completely. And that's this week in Trek history. Awesome. All right. Now, we had a little bit of feedback we wanted to, to address. Keith, you had made some comments last week about um, how much you admired the character of Commodore Stone. And from, a, yes. from the time you were young and as a great example of a black man who was mm-hmm. portrayed on the original series in a positive light. And so a friend of the show, Michael Phillips, had some follow up questions for you. And since you're not on Facebook, I sent it over to you and you wanted to address it on the podcast. So uh, I figured I would just read him verbatim first, just so I'm not mischaracterizing cool. his comments and then let you respond to that. So Michael Phillips wrote, following McKeith's comments, I wanted to ask what he thought of William Marshall in The Ultimate Computer. He's depicted as a very authoritative person, very intelligent and capable, but also a bit of a fool and frankly a bit immoral because he refuses at first to disable his computer even when it kills people. I watched this episode a few weeks ago and it stood out to me as a strong and nuanced performance. Overall, I thought he was just a good Star Trek-y sort of character, but in retrospect, I wasn't sure what they were trying to say about casting a black actor in the role, if anything at all. I guess any significant role for a black actor in the 1960s was a great thing, and I always say that equality in fiction is the right for anyone to be either a hero or a villain and not have anyone blink an eye. The same goes for Dr. Aspen slash Captain Angel. Oh, good. Good That's That's a good thing about Angel. Um, First off, thanks for thanks for responding to that. I really appreciate that. I hear what you're saying. I, I, first off, I appreciate what you're saying because this is a this is a tough thing, and this is a tough thing for not just black people, but people of any color. I think women sometimes, people of different sexual orientations, and that is when you get a representative. Sometimes that actor is carrying like mm. the entire group, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you get, um, for those old enough, and forgive me guys, I'm over 50, for those old enough to remember a show called Starsky and Hutch, there was a character on there named Huggy Bear. Huggy Bear was incredibly common back in the 60s and 70s. He was the streetwise kind of buffoonish black criminal who was really cool. He was actually had a heart of gold and he was always in the form for the cops. 
And Antonio Vargas played that role. Nothing wrong with the role, but if that's all you see sometimes, you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, not a role like that. Mm. So with Star Trek, absolutely, especially back in the 60s, when you had Black characters come on, they carried the weight. As a, Michelle Nichols carried the weight of being a Black person and a woman. But I will say, for me, Marshall's character is a phenomenally good character. Mm. Um, you mentioned that you, he was a little bit of a fool. You know, I don't see him as a fool. What I actually see him as is kind of, and I don't see him as a mad scientist because mad scientist is, is also a very specific kind of thing that kind of can kind of get into lugubrious territory. What I see him is, is a cautionary tale about um, a person who is brilliant and loses sight of their mission a person who is on a personal mission to become famous, like Frankenstein is a classic example. Frankenstein is all about hubris. I mean, Frankenstein's what, what the original title was Modern Prometheus. And it was all about be careful messing with nature, be careful messing with God. Um, I don't see him as a fool so much as a man who loses sight of how the science can get away from him. One of the things I like about the character, Dr. Daystrom, and I love the description when they talked about him in the same breath as people like Einstein and talked about all these things, he, he'd, um, these, these awards he won. And then they talk about the fact that basically all the electronic systems on starships currently were his design. That's a big deal for anybody, black or white. And especially for me as a young man in 1972, watching this for the first time, when you had people like Huggy Bear, that was amazing. When he started protecting M5 and when he started saying that um, M5 was going to be his great new achievement, I didn't see him so much as a fool and I didn't even really see him as immoral. I think McCoy said it best at one point when McCoy said, Jim, if a parent had a child who committed even murder, that parent might still protect that child. And I think what they're showing is that Daystrom had created a computer, as they said, that was actually sentient. So one thing I'd have to say is everybody says Noonien Soon created the first artificial intelligence. I say it was Dr. Richard Daystrom, even though it was his. Um, and so I saw was a man who, like Frankenstein, created an incredible thing. And then it was his child. And it became, in his case, literally an expression of himself and just lost sight of it. Um, I think that this is one of those roles where you can say this wasn't really written for a black person. And I honestly don't think that him being black in this case shaped that role, how it was written or how it was acted. Mm. So for me, it was a great role. And the fact that he um, the fact that at the end he had a nervous breakdown and the fact that at the end he, he was he was kind of a broken shell of a man. As a black person back then, I didn't feel that that was a negative. I didn't think I didn't do one of those things we sometimes say was, oh, they introduced the black person. He fell because this is a story of a brilliant scientist whose brilliance ran away with him. And that's a pretty classic science fiction tale, I think. Mm. Yeah, I love the character. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. Yeah. Thanks for the question. I mean, thank you for Michael Phillips for sending that into us. That's a great question. And if anyone else, you know, if you want to pose any questions that you'd like for us to address on the show or off the show, feel free to send them in you can get on our Facebook group or by email or, you know, Twitter. Let us know. Yeah. So we'll take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we get back, we're getting into our discussion topic. So stay right there. Have you been searching for that one heavy metal podcast that covers all of your favorite geeky topics as well? Well, look no further. The Metal Geeks podcast is here to save the day. 
Whether you are into video games, films, comic books, theme parks, or even, yes, heavy metal, then the Metal Geeks Podcast is a place for you. Check us out on all of your favorite podcasting apps, and we are proud members of the ESO Network. Keep it geeky, and keep it metal. All right, so this week we're talking about a character who I think we all love. One of our favorite yeah. characters and looking at some of the actions that he did on the show. I'm talking about Benjamin Sisko here, specifically in the episodes for the uniform and in the pale moonlight and really asking the question, did Sisko to go too far? And did anyone want to want to kick that discussion off? Yeah, I think that uh, I think this has been very interesting because we, we're looking at a new captain, which is Pike, even though he's a new old captain. And we're looking at Pike's behavior uh, in the in the series premiere Pike brought the Enterprise down, and there was a question of, well, was that almost kind of sort of violation of the Prime Directive or General Order One at that time? And then he gave that he gives that huge speech to the entire planet. Um, we've seen shows like Enterprise, where, and one day we're going to have to argue Archer. I think may have done the worst violations of ethics in in all of Trek history. And looking at these new captains and Burnham and so forth, I think going back and looking at Cisco in a time and a series that is also different. It almost makes you say, if you watched it then, your answer may be different than you if you watched it new now in mm. some strange ways. Yeah. So what did y'all think? So for me, I think that um, in For the Uniform, he did go mm-hmm. too far. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, like just the, the whole bombing the planet and putting lives at risk, regardless of if they're Cardassian or human. In this case, they were human. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And granted, it worked out in the end because one, the Cardassian planet went to the um, Maquis planet and the Maquis planet went to the Cardassian planet. So it worked out, but he was willing to take that just to get Eddington Mm. because with just the threat of it, he probably could have gotten him to like stop with biogenic weapons, but he wanted Eddington and that's why he bombed it because he wanted Eddington and that was the only reason. Mm. So basically what you're saying is that it's very similar to in a couple of um, examples in the original series of a particular captain, whoever it might be, being obsessed about a particular goal to the point of like not seeing anything else around him. He is like hyper focused on that one thing and will take whatever measures he deems necessary. So he's lost perspective. Yes. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's interesting mm-hmm. to watch these two episodes back to back with this in mind, yeah. because in a lot of ways, his motivations are similar. I mean, in both of the episodes, he's coming from a very emotional place. And right. for mm-hmm. the uniform, it's the Eddington thing. And in the pale moonlight, it's the casualties from the war. So in both of them, he has this big emotional core that's driving him. But um, right. but I mean, one a, is very personal. Very personal. Mm-hmm. And the other yeah. one is not. Right. And one is driven a lot by hubris. And about his pride uh-huh. has been wounded. Uh-huh. And totally. they stress that a lot in for the uniform that yep. Eddington beat him. Eddington tricked him. Yep. Yes. And then you even have the captain of the other ship come along and say, Starfleet says you can't get the job done, so I'm taking it over. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a lot. Uh, he personally has been beaten by Eddington. It's personal for him in the pale moonlight because he he's doing these casualty reports every week. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it, it, it's mm-hmm. different. You know, it, it's not uh, his own personal failure. It's causing this to happen. Although, I mean, and Vrenak does say when he comes on the ship that you're the man who started the war with the Dominion. 
So I yes. mean, that, there could and, be an and also of that in both of them. And right, and also Cisco at that point has been brought into like basically the war room. Mm-hmm. He and and the admirals are doing the big strategy. They're doing the planning. So everything kind of does fall on his shoulders. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it, I still find it different than being like the personal attack, like the one on one. You yeah. know, the 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 mano a mano kind of mm-hmm. thing that you find in the other episode, mm-hmm. right? And for the uniform has the big feeling of he's trying to redeem himself. Like like Eddington got one over on him specifically. Right. It's really the two of them against one another. Whereas in the pale moonlight, it's, it's the the galaxy, you know, it's Mm -hmm. the alpha quadrant that he's trying Mm -hmm. to save. But also, I mean, another thing that sort of leapt out to me and watching these two episodes back to back is that Mm -hmm. he explicitly doesn't get Starfleet's approval and for, and for the uniform, but in the pale yes. moonlight, he very much does, mm. you know? And that's that, ironic. Yeah. I think that's very ironic because in the first, in the second one, in the pale moonlight, he pretty much becomes party to all kinds of, of um, chicanery, including murder, but Starfleet backed him up. Mm-hmm. You're right. But at the end of, uh, in, for the uniform, Dax is kind of joking and saying, you didn't run this by Starfleet, did you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, he did not. A few years ago, you can say this a billion times, but a few years ago, I read a poll that was a pretty big, broad poll of this was before Discovery even. And it was the not the best captain, but the captain that seemed most realistic. And this is it was a lot of military people. Cisco won hands down mm-hmm. as the most realistic captain, not the best captain. And what I like about in the here's the thing, he was 100% wrong and for the uniform. Just he was just wrong as two mm-hmm. F shoes, as we say, but he was human, and I like that about him. Um, y'all familiar with the term? I know you're familiar with the term WWJD. What would Jesus do? Yes, yeah. I'm, I've always do a WWGD. What would Gene do? And I know <laughs> Gene Roddenberry would have hated. Cisco is in the and the, the 40 yeah. years. He would have hated that because as Veronica said, I mean, gosh, he could have put the missiles around the planet with a timer and threatened Eddington because I, when I, you know, I'm watching it last night and I wrote down, well, the humans got away, but that's a whole planet. So like mm-hmm. what the deer and the fish and the everything else on that planet is dead. <laughs> well, there's they, no way. <laughs> they specifically say that the trilithium resin is going to make it inhab- uninhabitable to humans. And uh, I think the implication yeah. at the end is that the Cardaskans can still settle there. But my thought was, I mean, you, you launch these car, these, this trilithium into the atmosphere yeah, and then you warn everybody to leave. Mm-hmm. You have no guarantee that everybody's going to make it out. Absolutely. No, like what that's, happens? That's their choice, though. Well, maybe <laughs> a mass exodus from a planet isn't necessarily your choice if you get left behind or if you get hurt in in the attempt, or if no, I mean, what happens if someone breathes in the trilithium resin by mistake, or if there's a, a ship breaks down. Right. I mean, they, yep. they don't have top of the line equipment. I mean, we don't know if people died because of uh, what agreed. he did. Yeah, at the same time. Eddington would have called his bluff if he was bluffing. Mm-hmm. We saw that throughout yeah. the episode. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, his only option he saw right. was to not be bluffing, to do it. Absolutely. Well, yeah, he even said that he even said that Eddington was way too obsessed with Les Miserables. Mm-hmm. And it, like like the saying goes, Eddington was the hero of his own story. And so right. I love it when Cisco and his 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 best hawk voice is, I have to become the villain. <laughs> uh, and one note I made yeah. from both of these episodes is of all the captains in all the series, I don't think there's anybody more potentially menacing and sinister and and um, intimidating than Benjamin Sisko if he yes. truly lost it. 
with the possible exception of Picard, if he truly mm, lost it. No. No, Picard, I mean, Picard in, for instance, the first contact was pretty intimidating. But, yeah. I mean, Cisco is, uh, and he's a force of nature on his own. Exactly. You don't want to be on Cisco's bad side. You, <laughs> right. can, you can see him easily, like, flip that switch and yeah. just go all out. Right. I, I I don't see Picard easily doing that. He well, could be true. pushed to that. I see Cisco more easily doing that than Picard could. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And if and if Picard did get to that point, he would just sick Worf on somebody, <laughs> and, and then Worf would get beaten up by the. Yeah, I would say Worf would get beaten up. He's so you know, how, you yet. see how far that would go. But no, I mean Cisco takes it into his own hands. Mm-hmm. Alan, speaking of Worf, the joke for Next Generation was always that Worf never got to kill anybody or you know shoot you know every time he'd say i recommend weapons picard would shoot him down um when when cisco told Worf to fire those things even Worf was looking like dude are you sure (laughs) (laughs) that was great exactly (laughs) yeah that's not what wwpd (laughs) yeah (laughs) right (laughs) i was disappointed that neither kira nor Worf objected yeah i really watching that you really expect one of them to say no we're not doing yeah. that. You've yeah. gone too far because really he has. Yeah. I mean, in that he's gone too far and his motivations are unclear um, uh-huh. or just in the wrong because he's got a personal vendetta. He's trying to fulfill. If that were any other episode in any other series and that position was being played by like the Admiral guest of the week. Right. Every yes. crew member would have stood yes. up against him. Yep. And called him out until he threw them all in the brig, and he's the only person left on the bridge. <laughs> that's but true, Alan. It did not happen. Yeah, there and I like that's, not that's one person. Very questionable. Not even one person. And then right. afterwards, Dax was like, "Ha ha! You didn't get Starfleet into this. Ha ha ha! Sometimes it's good yeah. to be a bad guy. Like really? What? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if if any other Star Trek captain I think had done this action and fired these yeah. missiles at the planet, and Eddington surrenders. And he said, I don't believe you can't believe you would do that. And then at the end, it would say, ha, I gotcha. And like, what? There was no trilithium <laughs> resin. You fooled me. You know, like that's a typical Star Trek ending. And this yeah. episode doesn't have that typical Star mm-hmm. Trek ending. And um, but mm. I think another thing that, that leaps out to you of comparing these two episodes together is that Cisco's mm-hmm. not remorseful at the end of for the uniform. Mm mm. And at the end of the impound yes. might, he is, even yeah. though he didn't yes. kill Freeman. Yes. He set the events yes. in motion and he right. knew what he was doing when he brought Garrick into it and told him, do it. I'm ready to do anything. So he yeah. may as well have killed Freenak, even though he didn't pull the trigger himself. But in Pal Moonlight, he's wrestling with it. And yeah. for the uniform, he's not. Nope. He won. Got him. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I hope those colonists make it out. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think as you guys said, it's true. I think it, it was 100% personal. I mean, yeah. in, in, in one of the early episodes, uh, Eddington told uh, Cisco that his problem was that Eddington was rejecting Star, uh, the Federation mm-hmm. and that he took that pro. So that wasn't it, because I love the scene where um, Dax is trying to hold that bag and he's punching the bag. And he says, you mentioned something about that earlier, Charles. He said, is he a 300-year-old symbiote? Is he a this? Is he a changeling? It is basically... He doesn't have any superpowers or anything. He's just a man who outfought Cisco. Yep. And it is 100% mm. his ego. It's yes. 100% his ego. Um, because also, this is my personal opinion. The Maquis never worked for me as mm. as antagonists on the level that they tried to make them. They just no. they just never yeah. really worked. They always seem a little silly. And the next generation, the one with Ensign Row, they have that little village. Um, you're always fighting them with runabouts. <laughs> 
I mean, you know, it just they just never really works at me. And I think yeah. that's another reason that the Eddington thing was more personal. Now, the only thing I thought about, but that wasn't the motivation, was given what Eddington was doing with the Cardassian planets, Eddington absolutely could have started another conflict with the Cardassians. You know, mm-hmm. he should have been brought down for that, but not like this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something. I mean, I love for the uniform. I think that's a fantastic episode. Yes. Yes. I, I have trouble with Cisco's vendetta because I mean Eddington yeah. to me, it's not like for instance, if Eddington's role was um Bernie Casey and mm-hmm. it was a, a someone he'd known for decades and they had come up together and Cisco felt like it's his 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 duty to bring him in. Like if that right. was Bernie Casey in the Eddington role, I would buy the vendetta more, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. than I do with Eddington. Because I mean Eddington, I mean, was was Eddington ever a character even anyone even liked when he was on no. the station, when he was a security officer? I mean no. But, you know, at the very least, you know, at least they had him there and at least they sort of seeded him through before they made this big reveal and this big turn. Whereas in other instances, they never did that. Like, oh, that's true. In in Enterprise, when Daniels, the chef or the the guy who serves the table, turns out to be the big time traveling thingy. Mm -hmm. You had only ever seen him five minutes ago. Right. Right. And you're supposed (laughs) to believe that this actually means something. Right. So at least they they took that step, you know. That's true. No, that, that, that that's a good point. Um, but I mean the 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 level of intensity of Cisco's vendetta against him. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I have a little trouble with that. Same here. Um, but I mean, in, in his actions in the episode, I feel like I there's there's like there's what's learned from it. Does, he doesn't regret it at the end. He doesn't no. learn, no, no. well, I'll never do that again. You know what I mean? He doesn't wrestle with it. He's not, you don't feel like he's going to live with this decision for the rest of his life. Nope. And That's we really don't true. learn if there's any consequences from it. You know, yeah. did everyone, did those people, even if they all made it out, now they're refugees. Are there, they, right. can they feed their children? <laughs> you know? Right. Do y'all think that Cisco would have actually kept hitting planets? He said he was going to get every planet in the, the militarized zone. Yes. If Eddington didn't surrender. You think it would have kept yeah. on? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think the crew would have. I think somebody would relieve him a command. Yeah, sure. I, I think so. Yeah, it may have taken them a little more time than it would have on. Yeah, next gen or whatever. Right. But right. and I do think Cisco would have hit that point. Mm. He would have hit a point where he was like, "What am I doing?" Yeah, like, yeah. Because he is true. still a good guy. He is still true. a Starfleet captain. He is still and I, so even though he takes these actions in this episode, had this kept going. And him followed that vendetta down its path. I think he would have eventually, I don't know how long it would take, but I think he would eventually got to a point where he, he would stop himself. Yeah. Alan, I think you said two things that are important, which I agree with. Uh, one, you're saying like he would have finally stopped himself. And we've seen Kirk with the Gorn, Kirk with the, the cloud creature that, that did blood, Picard in the first contact movie. Mm-hmm. All of them at some point had to stop themselves. And the other thing you said, Alan, I agree with, too, was Cisco was almost going down the path of all those guest star captains who go nuts and and don't get redeemed. <laughs> right. <laughs> he was, exactly. He, he was almost going down that path. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One quick comment. This has this the show for the uniform has one of to me, one of the best lines in all of a track. And I just love it because of the way Rene Bergenois delivered it. He said, Captain have you reminded Starfleet that they assigned editing to the station because they didn't trust me? He goes, right. no, please do. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that. And, and touching again on what Alan was just saying, I think I think that's one reason I love in the Pell Moonlight, and it works yeah. for me even more, 
because yeah. he does hit that point where he does acknowledge right. that he's done the, right, the wrong thing, although it was for the right reasons. There's even that scene where he sort of raises his glass and says, the good guys win, but there's no joy right. in it. You know, yeah. where I think that's where for the uniform falls short at the end is it doesn't have that poignancy at the end. It doesn't mm-hmm. have that. I'm a good guy. I feel like I'm doing this for the right things, but I know that I've done the wrong thing. And now mm-hmm. I'm taking that burden on myself. Whereas in the pale moonlight does. And I think in the pale moonlight, I think I find his actions a lot more understandable, a lot more justifiable mm-hmm. yeah. because like I said, he, he, at least he got Starfleet's permission this time. He got, you know, he, he wasn't the one and he was outraged, although that he knew, I mean, he knew that bringing Garrick into it was going to, he knew where that was going to lead. Yeah. Right. But there was, there's, there's some element though, I think of um, allowing himself to be blind to it because yeah. of what he was dealing with, with the Dominion War. And right. then at the end, he's, he's carrying a burden on himself. And I think that works better for me than like, ha ha ha. At least I like it sometimes when the villains win. <laughs> I think right. that the, the ending, I think, really sells it in a way that and I think that's why in the Pell Moonlight is remembered in a way that for the uniform is not. I mean, it, yeah. people remember that episode, but not nearly on the same level. Nope. I 100 percent agree with that. It yep. is. It is. I have to take this action. It's not just him. It's not just him doing this this thing against this other person. It's right. I have to do something or I mean, it's this one guy It's Vrenak. Or it's the effing federation. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. the alpha quadrant. Absolutely. I mean, something has got to happen or we are done. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's completely relatable. Also, yeah. um, following what, what you're saying, Alan, what you said, Charles, too, he got Starfleet's permission for this. Yeah. And so there's a whole bunch of culpable people. And then spoilers for those who don't know Deep Space Nine. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> we find out. Admiral Ross, who, from my mind, is the best admiral in all of Starfleet history. I, I posted that on Facebook one time, and somebody came back and said, "I don't. I disagree with you, Keith, because Admiral Ross was complicit with Section Thirty-One." And then I was thinking, "Well, crap. There's nobody perfect, but I like Admiral Ross. But guess what? Right. He was working with Section Thirty-One because, as you said, Alan, it's the whole freaking Alpha Quadrant. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. And I'm sure he's not the only one who was complicit with Section Thirty-One. <laughs> Come on, definitely. They are definitely. there for a reason. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. If, I know I'm talking a lot, guys, but I must say, too, and I've watched In the Pale Moonlight probably about a year and a half ago. I will tell you, watching that again last night, what a freaking stellar show. That is yeah. a damn wow. good episode. Yeah. Everybody. And the most remarkable. Okay, first of all, season six is like mm-hmm. peak Star Trek. For yes. Me. Yes. But yes. the fact that it claimed two episodes that, to me, are the two best episodes in the entire franchise. Right. And they're like, you know, like a month or two apart is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. That yeah. one and Far Beyond the Stars. There is oh, God, no yeah. better television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Television. And was, I'm not even saying track. I'm saying television. Yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And there was a there was a scene. Cow. It was a minor scene, but it was really strangely chilling. We're all used to Cork being somewhere between hilarious and just irritating. But yeah. the thing that Cork said to him was I don't even know how to, it's wow. When Cork said, thank you for proving the whatever 95th rule of acquisition, every man has 98, every man has his price. That, that, that was a gut punch. That yeah. was, a, it was, it was wow. It was yes, a gut was. punch. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the look on his face and even uh, Dr. Bashir. Um, yeah. Oh man, that, Bashir was pissed. 
He was. And that's some of the best acting I've seen from him when he said, when he started telling him what this gel could do. And he's like, this is not a request. This is an order. And then he yep. says, I'm going to file a complaint with Starfleet Medical. Like, yeah, Whoa. I want that in writing, sir. Exactly. <laughs> See, that's the kind of response I would have loved to have seen him for the uniform. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Warp exactly or right. Or, or right. Nog, you know, yeah. like somebody to say, like, this, this is wrong. And yes. I want it on the record that you are making me do this. Yeah. And even if it's not standing up to him and saying you are wrong, yeah, I, you should be relieved of command. At least stand up and say, I cannot bomb this whole planet. I, you, you can order it, but I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want the button pushed, you push it. Yeah. You push it. You know, you do it. Yeah. Yep, exactly right. I take myself out of the situation. Right. You know, y'all make a good point because in the episode Pegasus, when um, oh. the Admiral comes on, remember that? And he's forcing Picard to take the ship inside the yeah. asteroid. And I love there's a scene where basically what you and Charles said, um, Alan, there's a scene where Picard says to Data, Mr. Data, will you please note my express objection to this admiral by the yeah. this action by the admiral? And Data says, it is noted, sir. So you're <laughs> right. Somebody could have at least said something like that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, uh, last question I have for either for the uniform or in the pale moonlight in the same circumstance, which is why I was saying you have to look at the time of that. Can y'all see any other captain doing what Cisco did? No. Even Picard in those circumstances? No. I mean, as far as series lead captain, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although, although I will say Janeway came I was about to say Janeway pretty can- close <laughs> a few times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she was willing to bend the rule as much as it could be. Yeah. But not to the point like in Equinox, you know, when that the the guest captain of the week right had, had committed murder and and capture and all this kind of stuff in order to get his crew home now we we debated that one before where that yeah. was extreme circumstances where they were right. you know embattered and they were uh hungry and they had no supplies and they had no food and that what are they going to do you know so but she, i think she comes the closest mm. i mean she killed two bix so you know <laughs> I think the other person that would come close and again, spoilers for those who haven't seen Enterprise is Captain Archer because Mm. he committed piracy and tortured a guy. But that was in the Zindy War. Yeah, in season three. In In season one, Eddington would have destroyed the Enterprise. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly right. I I can see Captain Kirk making Eddington think that he was bombing McKee Planet and taking him into custody. And then they all laugh about it at the end. Yeah, because it was a bluff. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're right. It was a bluff. I agree yeah. with that. And they had some other kind of gas that was being released that Something. just looked yeah. like it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, let's take a quick break from a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we come back, we'll be talking about the latest episode of Star Trek Strange New World. So stay right there. In the Cosmic Pizza Podcast, your pizza delivery guys, Dan, Sean, and Paul, serve you a slice of life. We talk to women in comedy, voice actors, film directors and producers, authors. We also talk about conspiracy theories, the Muppets, our top three films of the decades, famous people we confuse with each other, and our favourite stand-up comedians. We have recast Star Trek the Original Series and Babylon 5, and created our alternative superheroes. But most of all, we have had so much fun doing it every two weeks. Two weeks! Cosmic Pizza Podcast is not about the cosmos or about pizza. Spoilers. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> to the point. To the point. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, spoilers for Star Trek Strange New Worlds, The Elysian Kingdom, which aired this week. And did anyone want to jump out first with an opinion? It was amazing. Didn't like it. I love that response. Two people jumped at the same time and said exactly the opposite. Yes. It was so much overacting and them not being their characters at all. And it was hilarious. I loved it. I loved it. it, I honestly honestly didn't think it was overacting enough. (laughs) Uh, I didn't think it was silly enough. I agree, Alan. Yeah, I wrote that I could see them acting and they came off like people in high school trying to do a play and be funny, (laughs) but it's not funny. Um, So and weirdly, the only person in the entire thing who was in the fantasy who for some reason work was Ortegas. I don't know why. I bought her more than anybody, but for 50 minutes, 45 minutes or so, I, I didn't laugh one time. Not a single thing. I literally just sitting there going, yeah, it was a slog. And I rarely say that. It was watching the expressions on their faces as they're doing all of this weird stuff. And you're like, are they actually in there anywhere, though? (laughs) And Pike wasn't working for me. Uh, It it just wasn't working. For me, it just it didn't work. Uh, It just didn't work. I didn't find it funny. I didn't find it engaging. I'm, and then I, I can't help but compare it to things like Hollow Pursuits or The Naked Time or something like that. Yeah, of course. And it just, which always just made me laugh. Yeah. I, I just didn't laugh at this one at all. I just sat there the whole time just going, wow. Uh, I will say that I think my expectations were off base. Yeah. Because mm. I was thinking something more along the lines of the second half of Q Who. Mm. Mm. you know that's the robin hood one right <laughs> the good half it, of q the good half exactly <laughs> where it becomes this big rollicking adventure and there yeah. are funny lines and Same i here. really i thoroughly enjoyed the episode i certainly did not hate it or anything but it didn't quite match what i thought they were yeah. going to do with it i i actually thought that they were eventually gonna let's fairly early on hit a point like oh wait I, i'm not this person what's going on mm-hmm yeah, I sort of fall in the middle, kind of like Alan. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I liked it. I like yeah. silly episodes when they get to do like sort of Renfesty things like this with the characters yeah. or just let them be out of character. But if it, it, the whole thing kind of fell flat for me. Yeah. Um, the ending also fell flat for me, but I'll get into that. Me too. And yeah. I one thing I kept that too. thinking about was um, the episode Dr. Bashir, I presume. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Works so much better for me. And yeah. one of the reasons I think is that that was, I looked it up, that was episode 82 of DS9. Mm-hmm. So you've watched yeah. these characters for 81 episodes by this point, whereas this episode is episode eight. Yeah. We've exactly. seen Hammer like three times. Yeah. You know what I mean? yeah. And Banga hasn't been in the show that much. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I don't have the investment really in these characters. And I also, I thought in Dr. Bashir, I presumed that the stakes were so high because if you, you have right. to play the scenario or everyone dies, and I didn't feel those, they, they didn't introduce the stakes of this episode until pretty late in the episode. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was fun enough. I thought it was fine. I didn't dislike it. It just uh, like you, I, I mean, I thought that I would, I, I expected to like this a lot more than I did. Totally. I think um, I think what um, what you said, Charles, and what Alan said, I agree with Alan said it didn't go silly enough because you're right, because I didn't just crack up like uh, hollow pursuits or um, or you said Q who or the trouble with tribbles, you know, that you know, things like that. I didn't just crack up, crack up. And mm-hmm. when they when they did their stuff, you're right. They, they came off. They just didn't come off genuine. They came off reading lines that didn't work. And so I agree with you. They they needed to have been sillier or the show should have been a little more serious. 
Um, so for me, it was just like what Rebecca Romaine, who I know is funny. I didn't laugh when she said her stuff. And I know she's funny. And that's the other thing. I know these people are good actors, even the ones I'm not familiar with. I just think that the stuff in their mouths didn't work. And also, Charles, you said something very interesting. In Next Generation, the redo of The Naked Time, The Naked mm-hmm. Now, is a pretty bad mm-hmm. episode. And it also doesn't work because like, it just doesn't work with those characters. That humor didn't mm-hmm. work for them the way they did it. And I felt well, the same here. Partly because you don't know those characters yet. Right. You know, right. and it's the same in uh, DS9, Dramatis Personae, is is <laughs> it's not like the first batch of episodes. It's like, right. you know, somewhere down in season one, but it still is like, you know, I just don't, I, it didn't work as well for me either, mm-hmm. you know, and this one, I think it could have. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because yeah. I think we've seen enough of these characters to get a good sense of who they are. Right. And I think that if we had seen a little bit more of the exaggeration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it would have been a, a much bigger hook. Yeah, I honestly think what you guys are saying just made me think of something I didn't think about. I honestly think given how that ended, that the fantasy world he was in should have been a much more serious one, not with attempt at jokes. It should have been something where he's if the stakes, like you said, mm-hmm. I think it should, I think it should have been a dramatic one. Like, he's dark, stuck in a, like a dark fantasy instead of exactly. A, a, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And then sliding toward the end, because the end also got me too. like, what, what, what? Yeah, uh, the yeah. end. The end was a hang up for me. Um, yeah, and just skipping ahead to Mbenga. I'm a dad, and I have a daughter. So mm-hmm. though, to get to the point where you're going to give your daughter to an alien life form that yeah. you just met, and I just didn't feel it. I mean, I know that they've, they've they've introduced a couple episodes now where his daughter has this disease, right? But they've not introduced that with any sort of uh, like he he keeps saying that you're going to die if I don't find a cure. The last time we saw right. it though. We saw her hopscotching. We saw he got a little hope at the end. They haven't really sold that the clock's ticking. You know, I mean, every Mm -hmm. time that we see, I think it's Rukia is her name. Rukia, yeah. It's exactly the same, essentially. He reads her a story and she says, Daddy, Mm -hmm. do I have to go back in? He's like, I'm sorry, you have to go back in or you're going to die. But it's not like there's a ticking clock to it. It's not, I I was thinking today, if if the first time we saw her, it was like that way, right? He reads her the story, she goes back in. The second time, maybe she falls asleep before he finishes and he's sort of mm-hmm. concerned. The third time, mm-hmm. maybe she has a medical emergency. He has to beam her in, and you get the feeling that clock's ticking. I got to do something now, or she's gone. And or I, if I they, just didn't feel that. Or if they had done something to say, for whatever reason, she can't go back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a ticking clock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because every every Trek series has basically established that keeping people in a transporter buffer is dangerous, and the only person who succeeded at it was Scotty. Right. One time. Right. And even then he lost his friend. So yeah. I agree with you. There was that was the other thing I was thinking. You know, I, I've said this every episode, but I, I still never bought the basic premise, which is your solution as a medical doctor mm-hmm. is to do this incredible scientific thing and keep somebody in a transporter buffer. I still don't know why he didn't just leave her on Earth. And there's got to be a research facility that would devote some power to keep her in a transporter buffer while he searches the galaxy or something. Yeah. For, for a cure. Also, I thought it reminded me of episodes like Lonely Among Us. Do you remember that one from TNG? That's the right. one where that that entity from the cloud got a hold of a card and was trying to bond with him or even things like Metamorphosis, which is a good show. It kind of reminded me of old plots. And because it didn't work so well, I really felt like it was a recycled plot where you just happen mm. to bump into an entity in a nebula in the middle of nowhere that just happens to be lonely and just happens to merge with you. And then because I wasn't feeling it, I even wrote, well, how convenient it can cure her, but only if she stays there. Well, and, and, and a decade and later, 
Exactly. And that's the thing. It, it, yeah. To me, it felt like an empty payoff right. of, a, of a character thread that, I mean, it was a fine character thread. It, I just don't, I never felt invested in it. Yeah. Right? Agreed. You yeah. know, yeah. and Agreed. I just, and I just feel like this was, I, A, I was surprised that we've seen this little girl a couple of times and, you know, they've built this as, you know, something of a, of a, of a foundational quality about Mabinga. Right. And, and then all of a sudden it's just magically fixed with, with this caveat of she has to stay here in this nebula. Right. But uh, I just didn't, A, it seemed too quick. Yeah. yeah. And which is of course, another problem of a 10 episode season, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. It, it just didn't feel like there was any weight to it. Yeah. Like when he came in there and he, and he scanned her and said, you're better. The only reason mm-hmm. we know right. that is because he scanned her because right. she seemed about the same every time we've seen her. Like I said, last time we saw her, she was hopscotching with the kid from the torture planet. You know, right. like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not as if we've seen her <laughs> look. I mean, and not all diseases you can tell from the outside. I get that. But as far as showing us showing it on television, right. We haven't seen her struggling. We haven't seen. I mean, I haven't felt looking at her that I, I mean, sick at all. Yeah, it'd be great if we last yeah. time we saw her. She, we, we're worried maybe she's not going to make it and then he comes in and she's laughing mm-hmm. and you're like wow and he doesn't yeah, have to tell exactly. you that exactly you exactly. know what i mean um yeah i just that that's the mega storyline just i it just didn't get me like i said i mean as a dad i would have told sorry alien i don't know you I'm, we'll right. take our chances i'm, I'm right. gonna do my best Absolutely. right and Absolutely. i fully expected at some point she would have been cured of this thing and she would stick around as sort of a naomi wildman type of character yeah, that's what I Which thought. I would have loved because yeah. she is an adorable little girl and I yeah, would have absolutely. to see more of her. But this just felt so weird unless there's some plan, you know, that she'll be back again next season in some weird capacity. I don't know. But don't well, know. Alan, Alan, uh, dovetailing what you're saying, I thought the same thing when she when she when she zoomed back in a minute later and she was an adult. I thought, yeah. well, after freaking 10 or 15 years, surely she's cured by now. It's like, no, not yet. Like, what? So that, that still didn't make any sense to me because she's she went into some realm where she said it's only been a minute for you, but it's been years for us. And I'm thinking, well, after that much time, frankly, every cell in her body has been replaced. I would have thought she would at least said, Dad, it took this long, but I'm cured. I can come with you now. And then it would have been being having to, like you said, mm-hmm. you know, like, my gosh, my little girl is gone. But here she is as an adult. Yeah, that would, have been, that would have been really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like what but they did she, with uh Molly. Molly, yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's so. why they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All the Trekkies will say, well, this is just Molly 2.0. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I hate yeah. to be I hate to be negative because I generally like All Star Trek, but I did not like this episode. I I can't find anything that I liked about it. The humor wow. didn't work, and the drama didn't work. Okay, uh, how about the, how about the set design, the mm. set redecoration? Did that work? <laughs> that was weird. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what I I'll tell you what I freaking loved the score. Yeah. Oh, so, it was so good. Good job, Nami. Yes, good job, Nami. The costuming <laughs> was great. You know, I thought they did uh, oh, yeah. a great job with that. And I, I I didn't dislike it. I thought it was, I thought I it was cute. You know, I like seeing Pike playing the sniveling Chamberlain. You know, I like, yeah. um, <laughs> I like the, the, the characters they were all, play- I like seeing him or just on the show. Yeah. Well, first as soon of all, as I saw yeah, him, I was right. like, hey, look out, I was going to say he yeah. was in the show. Well, it was good to see him or, and he was like, what's going on? But they were dragging him away. I thought that was, that, that was funny. Yeah. I thought I, I liked him or in this. 
Uh, I liked yeah. him uh, using science and try, he's trying to play the role. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, is it is it too much? You know, I liked him using the Anar telepathic abilities to um, communicate yeah. with the alien. And that's a nice change. Because in a lot of cases, that would be Spock doing that. But, you know, right. the Anar are, are more telepathic or more powerful telepaths than Vulcans are. I thought that was good. I liked that his antennae moved. I think it's the first Thank time moved I was going to say show. that too. <laughs> yes. Finally. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't dislike it. I think... Uh, the bar for this show is a lot higher. I think uh, yeah. uh, some other Star Trek shows, this would have been the standout. But um, <laughs> but oh, since, since we've only had eight episodes and the first seven of them were basically spectacular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's okay that there's one that yeah. oh, just sure. doesn't stand up to the others. And, you know, I, first of all, I fully expect that we are going to have a two-parter for our last two episodes. Yeah. So um, I, I don't think there's anything. It, it's just like in um, season six of DS9 uh, for the car or in the cards or whatever it was called. Yeah, it was kind of a silly throwaway episode, but it was OK because it you needed that sort of like that breath, that that pause before the big epic two part yeah. finale. You know, but mm. that's going to lead into your next season. Yeah. And uh, I think this is going to serve that same purpose. I love yeah, in the that. cards, though. Uh, and, in the cards, I love mm-hmm. soulless minions of orthodoxy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At the same time, though, we've had a few silly, strange new worlds in a row now. Mm. You know, la- last week had a pretty light tone. Yeah. yeah. Um, with the pirates and the go- so the goofiness of the whole thing. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which which one was right before last week's episode? Now I'm 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 getting them mixed up in my head. Well, that was the little boy that was sacrificed. Okay, that was pretty heavy. That. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, it was heavy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they needed a semi-light show and a super light show because the next two are going to yeah. be super dark. Well, I hope so. That was I mean, really I don't want them to be super dark, but I would like. No. For instance, we've had sort of goofy Pike for a couple of weeks. I would like, and I like him, but I would like to get serious Pike again. I'd like to oh, get well, some stakes. If you look at the, if you look at the scene that's at the end of Will's show, it looks like we're going to have a dark, serious next episode. Oh, good, mm-hmm. good, good. And I like that. I like going back and forth. <laughs> you know, just like I like. Yeah. The, taking a break from the Dominion War to play baseball against Vulcans, you know, and that's, <laughs> I, I, I love that. So exactly, I, yeah. Th- this was not my favorite of the season. I didn't hate it. Um, I nope. thought it was it was fun enough. I, I've got some criticisms of it, but you know, it, oh, I, I I still enjoyed it. Yeah, I still enjoyed watching it. Um, I, it might not be one that I would rewatch as much mm-hmm. as the first seven. Sure, um, but I still enjoyed it. I still yeah. had a good time with it. Yeah. So Veronica, you, um, you said you really liked it. What did you like about it? Uh, just the overacting and them playing almost <laughs> completely opposite of their characters. Yeah, and that's always fun. Ortegas was just amazing, oh, and I loved Uhura being the the evil queen, and she was wonderful with her little claws and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's like you kind of expect this is going to go the the same way as like Bride of Chaotica, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't do that sort of exaggeration. Yeah. Right. To really like pull you in. Um, right. And I also want to say that uh, for Ortegas, it's it's kind of a shame that this is the episode that she's got the most screen time in mm-hmm. because yeah. she's not playing herself. Yeah. She's yeah. not being Ortegas. Yeah. But I still enjoyed seeing her. I think she was one of the standouts of the episode. But the As was Christina scene. Chong. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. The fight scene was good. Yeah. 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 That was really good. Yeah. And like you were saying, Christina Chong was good. Oh, yeah. I think she was more of the overacting that I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. In all the characters. Right. Did you guys catch the DS9 reference? What was no. that? No. Uh, the, the author of the book, the Elysian Kingdom that he's reading to his daughter was Benny Russell. 
No, it was not. Holy yes. crap. No Shut way. Up. <laughs> oh. Yep. Shut up. That now is so flipping amazing. Okay, yeah. okay. Just say so, that I remember the name. Wow. So, so now let's think about this. Benny Russell is writing it. Who would have been playing these characters if this particular <laughs> book had been on DS9? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Recasting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Kira would have been um, the queen. No, I was going to say no. um, the sword fighter. What was her? Um, Ortega's role. I could see Kira doing that. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah. Think, I could see. Yeah, that. I think Veronica was thinking Kira's the queen because she used to overact as the intendant in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish that they had shown us more of the interior of the book before now like any of the times that he was reading the story to the uh to whatever her name is um i i wish that we had seen a page or two as he flips it just to know you know like just the character references before we find our heroes recast in those roles Mm -hmm. and they look exactly like those characters it it was nice that they did that at, at the beginning of this episode but if they had done it like just once Mm-hmm. prior to this i think it would have gone a little bit farther for me yeah and yeah. at the beginning of this one they they did have that talk that sort of paid off at the end where she didn't like the end of the story but I yes, mean, frankly yes, yes. i i wasn't paying that much attention to what she was talking about the, about the children's story <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know what i mean no i was not <laughs> right yeah yeah this yeah. is this this is the i don't hate it but this is this is the first episode of strange new world i will probably never ever watch again wow um, ever Come yeah, on. never. Yeah, I literally have no desire to see this episode again. It's like move along home. I have no desire to ever watch <laughs> it. I don't. I don't hate it, but there's just nothing in it for me. I literally couldn't find anything to hang my head. The only thing that this is weird. The only thing that made me chuckle was was Fox kind of out of character skulking around the corner. That was funny. And actually, based <laughs> on what you were saying, Alan, too, if they had made this funnier and more over the top, I wouldn't have even minded extending extending the episode because the, the potential for Spock being a little weasel was was really funny. But even that didn't pay off. He just kind of hit around the corner, eavesdropping, and then next thing you know, he's giving his daughter to the cloud entity. So um, <laughs> Justin, I was thinking, oh, maybe something's going to come out of this. It ended. Uh, yeah. 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 So not not one of my faves. Yeah, that's okay. Um, I think I missed a how Himmer was also not affected by the thing. I figured it was going to be some like vision thing, like he didn't see a flash yeah, or something. He, he, what he said was that he sensed this telepathic contact and yeah, oh, it. that's right. And he blocked so it. So he had that's the right. telepathic abilities to block it. And right. how did how did he and Mbinga still have working technology on their bodies? A tricorder and a thing that opened the door. How did that not get I translated know. into yeah i don't know i don't have an explanation get, for that one okay good i was not i think i missed two big things <laughs> I, I think i think the thing was the entity only went so far you know it's like the entity only it it, it, it reminded me of weirdly reminded me of specter of the gun where the western mm. town was only partially created because if you looked at it, it was weird like there was like sheets hanging over view screens and stuff like that yeah, so right. i think it was because the entity was going to the mind of a child the entity only redid stuff so much so i think a lot of the technology was still there yeah um it wasn't fully you know okay. fully metamorphosized or something like that so did the entity create that dog or is there a dog on the interface <laughs> good the, point the entity had to have created it sadly because then we'll never see it again that's christina chong's <laughs> real dog it is that's yeah. true wow yeah. Yeah. So good for her. Wait, there was a dog in this episode? 
Yeah. <laughs> wow. Vaughn was carrying uh, a dog around. Wow. Oh, right. Okay. I, I mean, well, look, she was holding it like it was a toy. So. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to say, I, I, you know, I'm a big dog lover. This was a cute dog. Ain't got nothing on Porthos. <laughs> <laughs> nothing on Porthos. Porthos is still the greatest Star Trek animal ever. Or that dog from the enemy within. Oh, oh, the dog with the antenna in its head and the enemy with it. Oh, that yeah. dog is awesome. I love that dog. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, I think I have my DS9 cast for this book. Okay. 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 So obviously, Cisco is the Mbenga. Mm-hmm. Um, Odo is um, uh, the not Andorian's character. Uh, Hammer. Hammer. E- Enar. Enar, okay. yeah. Odo's the Enar because he's not, That's he doesn't fine. have anything to take over. And um, Miles is the sniveling uh, servant. And okay. Kira is the queen. I'm sticking with that one. And uh, Dax is the overacting princess. Okay. <laughs> I can see that. I like and, that. <laughs> and uh, Quark is the sword fighting protector. Okay, that's a good type. Excellent. I like that a lot. Yes. Yeah, that's a good against type. Bashir is the evil dark wizard. Okay. I, yeah, I like that. that too. That's that makes solid. sense. What about the archer? Thank, thank that's Ooh, where I was going. The go. archer. Or the hunter or whatever she was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keiko. Lido? Oh, Keiko? Yeah. Oh, I, I went Lido and you went Keiko. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Another work. Okay. So we got a couple of minutes to spare. So we haven't done one of these in a while. So I don't think I should call it the question of the week anymore. Maybe the question of the month or question <laughs> of the season. I don't know. Um, but I, this is something that I've missed doing. So let's get back into doing it. Uh, we have one from that came in a while back from Bandy Beth Glenn, one of oh. our regulars. And the question is, if you had money and inclination to build a Star Trek themed quote unquote man cave, what would you build? Oh, okay. Uh, I would have the, I mean, mine would be based on the original series bridge where I would have a captain's chair and a view mm-hmm. screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the rest would just be a decor. But I mean, really, it's just so I can sit in my captain's chair and watch Star Trek on a big screen. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's no other chairs, though. So is it just you? <laughs> well, it's going to be in there. <laughs> Veronica's like, wait, 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 what about me? Okay, no, wait, wait, wait. There's the two stations um, right in front of the chair. I'm not putting stations in front of the chair, in front of the screen. You can sit in a Hura seat. (laughs) (laughs) If I were going to... We have an incoming message. Too bad I'm watching a movie. (laughs) (laughs) If I were going to recreate something in a room, I would actually do the NX-01 bridge, which I actually Oh my gosh, I love that set so much. I love that set. I love the little thing. With one caveat is I have to... I would have to have the three-sided view screen from the original series. I just okay. love those things. Those things wow. look really futuristic. <laughs> so that would be mine. Okay. Okay. Um, here's here's my my thing. If I had all the money in the world to just throw about it on some like ridiculous expenditure like this, I have always said that the thing I would spend my money on is building a fully functional and exact recreation of the Jupiter two from lost in space. Oh, wow. The real one, not the next flip, not the Netflix one. Okay. Um, Oh yeah. So that's, that's what I would do. So if it were Star Trek themed, I would 
maybe do find some way to do a holodeck. Okay. Then I can have any set that I want at any time that I want. <laughs> well, I thought you meant just the grid. And I was like, that's very cost effective, Alan. That's a good idea. That's true. <laughs> I, it could be the grid and just use like uh, Oculus glasses or something to yeah. do or my own Or just go in there and say, I'm in my holodeck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, Vanny Beth did say all the money in the world. So you. Oh. No, she didn't. She just said, if you had, well, if you had money and inclination. Okay. So it yeah. can be all the money in the world. Build well, a you, working starship. You could build you could build a holodeck in a room that just wouldn't be able to create matter, but we can do holograms now. It just it would be very expensive, you know. So you could do that part of it. Well, uh, that's true. I mean, they have the big VR wall on mm-hmm, set uh, mm-hmm. for a Star Star Wars and Star Trek. I right. could just have a room that's that. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, I can absolutely. make any environment I want. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. That'd be cool. <laughs> How about you, Veronica? Um, my initial thought was fairly similar to Chuck's, only I had more chairs. No, oh. <laughs> I, I expect like a corks bar or something. Yeah, I would, Ooh, I would love yeah. that because then you can there have you friends go. over and you can play games and, and then you, right, exactly. <laughs> cool, yeah, corks bar, but I also need the uh hollow suite, Alan. Okay, your, exactly. your hollow suite would be connected to my bar, right on. Yep. Thank you so much, Vandy Beth, for sending us a great question of the week. If anybody else listening wants to send us a great question, silly, serious, debatable, whatever, anything you want, just send it to us at earthstationtrek at gmail.com or post it on our Facebook group or wherever else you see us hanging about on the internet. (laughs) And what, Al, where can we find you on the internet? Um, I have another lovely little podcast called Modern Musicology, which is also on the ESO network. And um, we are doing different music topics every week. We just did a show on uh, at least some of the album releases from 1982 because there was about a hundred of million of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to do a part two of that at some point. And um, so, yeah, find us on Spotify or all those other places that I can't think of at the moment that you find podcasts on. <laughs> and how about you, Keith? You can find me on social media right now, primarily Instagram and Twitter and someday Facebook. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> all network groups. And how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. Or Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. That's right. And do you have a closing for us this week? I do. Once again, the magic of science prevails. Hey, good job. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you had that, because if you didn't, I was going to say, Alan Moraine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.